My name is Gerald. I am an alcoholic. And I'm looking around the room here because they tell me, you know, anytime two or more of us are gathered, that God's here in the midst, right? So what I get to see right now is, of course, a beautiful, loving, smiling face of God. And God's face is truly beautiful tonight. Except for you. <laughs> no, it's all beautiful. You go like this and it's, oh, God. And it's just, oh, you know. I'm only kidding, Tim. You know, you know you're ugly. I mean, you know, you know I'm just kidding with you. God's got a sense of humor. Uh, I want to thank, uh, what's the young lady's name who invited me? Genevieve. She's not here. <laughs> She's on Zoom. Where are you at, Genevieve? Is that you right there? Hey. Uh, you got to stop waving because as long as you wave, I'll keep waving at you. Stop. Stop. Oh man, this is uh, this is going to be hard because it's a it's it's a small group, but you guys are way over there and way up, so I got to go back and forth. And I like my two nicks back there. You guys remind me when I first came to AA. Because I always sat in the half measure section. <laughs> right on denial aisle. <laughs> right on relapse row. You know what I mean? It's, it's like you guys just come fit right in. Just get in the back to sit in the back. They won't see us. Nick and Nick. In case you guys forget their names. One's Nick and the other one's Nick. Uh, no, thank you very much for inviting me here and thank you for, but somebody said something about this meeting being recorded and going to be loaded up on Spotify. That's kind of new. <laughs> what if, what if I'm not a Spotify guy? It's what, what? It's a podcast. It's a podcast. <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> Does it say Gerald S. Thompson on the podcast? Or... Do I get to put my face on there waving? It's kind of cool, man. It's going to be exciting. God bless it. Hey, it's come a long way. Uh, congratulations. First of all, I want to also thank a gentleman who came with me tonight, Jonathan. I'm so glad you're here, man. Uh, in case you didn't know it, this is how we do it. Everybody around you has been doing this for a little bit of time. So if you need some help, meet some people tonight. Meet some people. How many of you guys are working with some brand new newcomers? Thank God, because I was about to start talking mad shit. <laughs> you know, AA is a little bit different. You know, since we started this meeting uh, an hour or so ago, somebody's been born who's going to need AA in 15 or 20 years. Since we started this meeting, somebody's been born who's going to need AA. And what are they going to find when they get here? Because it's just a little bit different. Who's going to be responsible for what they find when they get here? That's why it's important for us to grab these new people 
and give them the truth that the young lady read about, uh, I think you read about earlier and they stopped. They, they was it? They stopped in time. What's really cool about that little section that you read is in the big book, but it's a little bit further than the first 164 pages. Who, who here knows that you only have to read the first 164 pages of the book? Put your hand down. <laughs> you know better than that. If you read the first 164 pages and carefully follow directions six times in the first 164 pages, they tell you to read the rest of the stories in the back. How many people here? Who, anybody here done with the steps? Anybody finish the steps? Put your hands down. What kind of world is this? Now I can be a little, a little confused, but I think in the 10th step, it tells me to continue. The 11th step says to improve and the 12th step says to practice. Continue to improve through practice. Continue, improve, practice. When do I ever get done with the steps? If I am to continue to improve through practice. One day at a time. Congratulations for the two 90 day people. Because uh, I think we went from two weeks to 90 days, and somebody got five months, and then you had a 11-month, uh, seven-month, a seven-monther. Congratulations. Uh, today, for me, is day number 10, 10,865. But who's counting? <clears throat> they told me a long time ago, this program is one day at a time. And if I pay attention to my days, the months and the years will take care of themselves. Congratulations on, on eight years. And where's the one-year guy? They do a nice job. You want to be impressive? Get two. And then if you get two, you might as well get three. And if you can stick around this program for 1,095 days, which is roughly three years, you might as well just stick around because there's no need to go back out there. That happened to me after my third year. And uh, in three months and 90 days, 90 days from tomorrow, I'll be celebrating my 30th year of sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous. That's just one day at a time. And believe it or not, a lot of shit can happen in 90 days. I can quickly change my mind. Somebody has been born who's going to need AA, and what are they going to find? I'm so glad you guys, you uh, men and women here, come to a live meeting. Please don't get me wrong. I'm really grateful for uh, the podcast world, or um, what do you call this thing, Zoom. Um, it's a really, really great place to uh, maintain fellowship, especially when we needed it during the pandemic. It's a great place. However, very few of the meetings that I've been to on Zoom ever talk about our traditions. And fewer than that even ever talk about our concepts of service. And I have to tell you guys that I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Brothers and sisters. I love when you said that, because by the way, when you said that, I looked around the room and I said, Oop, only brother. <laughs> Free Nelson Mandela, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, 
I love AA, and I will spend the rest of my life trying to repay the debt that I owe to AA. I love AA, and I will spend the rest of my life trying to repay the debt. I'm a firm believer that if you want to get sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, you need to take the steps. Anybody here ever work the steps? How many people work the steps here? Put your hands down. Trick question. I said, how many people work the steps? We don't work the steps in A, we take the steps. If I work the steps, I'm gonna work them the exact same way I work everything else in my life to my advantage, right? I'll work it when it's convenient. I'll work it when it's gonna help me out, but they tell me to take the steps. And I'm a firm believer for me to get sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, I needed to take the steps. But once I've taken those steps, I begin to live the traditions. And after I've been living these traditions for a while, just naturally I begin to think with concepts of service. You guys with me so far? I take the steps to get sober, I begin to live these traditions, and then I think with the concepts of service. You ready, Tim? Does this look, does this look familiar to anybody out there? This is our equilateral triangle that we have in AA that's surrounded by that circle. You guys have seen that symbol before, yeah? You know what that thing means, right? Yeah, it means I'm in AA. I can wear it everywhere so people can see it. I'm in AA. Look at I got a circle tattooed on my chest. No, dude, that's not what it means. It's an equilateral triangle surrounded by the circle. The circle is a fellowship. You guys will read, uh, I think it's our big book, somewhere around page 151, where the person is saying, uh, you showed me how you got from under uh, but am I going to be stupid, boring, and glum like some of the people I see? Do you have a sufficient substitute? And they respond, they say, yes, we have a substitute, and it's vastly more than that. It's a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, you guys, believe it or not, I'm kind of a stickler on the words. Have you guys kind of read that so far? They didn't say the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. They said a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that circle that we have that surrounds that triangle, that circle represents the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's no beginning, no ending, no hierarchy. Everybody who's in this thing is just in it. Once you've taken the steps, you and I are just like this. Anybody in my quote sponsorship group or sponsorship family knows that once they've taken the steps, I'm not Big Daddy Dirt Pile anymore. We're just like this. And I'd like to thank you, Nick, for allowing me to be like this with you in, in your life. Nick just finished, uh, we just got into the 12th step recently. But that circle surrounds that equilateral triangle. And that equilateral triangle means that all sides are equal. That means that all angles are equal. All sides are equal in an equilateral triangle and all angles are equal. Those three angles in there, the H-O-W, stands for honesty, open-mindedness, and what? Willingness. And willingness. It takes the same amount of honesty as it does open-mindedness as it does willingness to get this program. And those three sides are equal also. Recovery, unity, and what else? And service. Recovery, steps, unity, tradition, service, concepts of service. Steps, all sides are equal. So I'm going to ask everybody in this room right now, and only you can answer this, what shape is your triangle? 
What shape is your triangle? Because some of us come here and we get way too much recovery and way too much unity and no service. Or we just come and get, wrong finger, come and get a whole bunch of service, right? To fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're new, I just want to welcome you to plan B. Because planning evidently didn't work too well. Where do I want to go with this group? Did I tell you guys I was born a poor Jewish kid in South Central LA? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I thought I was Jewish. Uh, because we, they had these special tests that you had to go, you had to take when I was a kid. And my IQ had tested like in the upper 1% of the nation. So they sent me from South Central to these other schools on the other side of town. And my best friends growing up were Leonard Fenton, Scott Bornstein, Jesse Kramer, Nina Safran, Ron Nelson, John Makowitz, and me. And it was cool hanging out with these guys. We did bar mitzvahs. We did all kinds of holiday stuff. And every time their families would go out of town, we'd go over the house and drink all the liquor and stuff. And then at some point or another during the party, they shut off all the lights and go, hey, Gerald, smile. <laughs> hey, you only laugh if you get it. I saw you laughing back there. You probably shut the lights off. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Brother. I didn't like those guys very much. Actually, I started hating those people, you know? And um, I go home, my mother was married and divorced four times before I was 18 years old. And she had different fathers for all the different things that I ever learned in life. And I learned exactly how to be. My first uh, father was uh, an animal trainer, an actor and a singer. Trained all the animals on the TV show, Dottari. We did a bunch of school films and stuff together. I grew up with, uh, you guys remember Dottari? Anybody here remember the show? Remember Judy the Chimp? Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion? Murdoch the elephant, you know, those are my people. <laughs> but he was a gambler, you know, and he would gamble all the money away in the family. And then uh, we go to bed hungry quite often. But he said, hey, look, I got to do what I got to do. As long as these kids have grandparents, they'll never run out of food, but I got to do what I got to do. So I learned I got to do what I got to do. And my first stepfather, Reggie, was, uh, was a doctor. Anybody here ever heard this, heard this story? Okay, good. I'll tell the story with Roseanne. My first stepfather was a doctor. And uh, he had the, the black bag and the white shoes and the stethoscope and all the things that doctors have, you know? And, and he'd have to be gone for three days. He'd be home for four, gone for three, home for four, because he was always on call, you know? And then after that, he became a CIA agent, which was really cool. Because I used to get to go with him on these secret rendezvous, these little secret missions, and I had to make sure nobody was following us. And he'd go and do a secret run and I'd sit in the car and just make sure no spies were coming, you know. And it was cool hanging out with Reggie, right? But then it turned out that he really wasn't a CIA agent. <laughs> and he really wasn't a doctor. <laughs> he just had another family on the other side of town. And my mother was working three jobs to take care of her three kids, two of his kids, him and the other family. And Reggie would come in the house and he'd be very angry all the time. He'd just start beating us. I don't know about you guys, but back then when I was a kid, I was born in 1956, right? So when I was a kid, they used to lay hands on you, you know? Nowadays, you can't do this. 
back then, you we used to go, this blows me away. You guys got something going, I don't know how this thing works. I was in a grocery store and this little kid was walking with his mother. The little kid had to be six or seven years old. And the kid said, God damn it, mother, I just want to go, I want to go. And the mother said, oh, Billy, I think you need a timeout. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? When I was a kid, a timeout was that period of time you were unconscious after your father. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. You guys got some crazy stuff going on now, you know, but that was what, back then, they lay hands on you. And he come in the house and he just start beating people. And I'm the youngest of the five in the house. So by the time the ass whoopings got down to me, everybody in the house was kicking my butt, right? So I immediately began to hate those black people. So my first day at high school, my mother allowed me to pick my school. Whereas I had to go to school with Jesse Kramer, Scott Bornstein, Leonard French, and Annie Cohen, and all those people, I finally got to pick my own school. So I chose to go to LA High School. LA High School happened to be, uh, as opposed to Fairfax, happened to be the majority of darker complected people. And my first day I show up at school and I've got my Jimi Hendrix headband on, you know, and uh, I got my five inch platforms, weighed about, a, about 110 pounds. So I was like 6'3", weighed about 110, looked like a green bean stalk, right? And I'm walking around and just doing my thing. And this guy came up to me and he said, uh, Say, brother, let me clock him now. Excuse me, are you talking to me? He said, chair, brother, let me clock, what's up? So I ran home. <laughs> I said, uh, mother, I uh, shan't be going back to that school. <laughs> she said, well, why not? I said, well, because they talk funny and they run fast. <laughs> And my mother said something to me that day, I'll never forget. She said, well, Jerry, uh, you're black. And that was the worst thing that anybody had ever said to me in my life. See, because back then, in the early 70s, anything bad in the world was associated with black. You're behind the black ball. You're on the black list. It's Black Tuesday. They're practicing black magic. You've been blackmailed. She just told me I was a blackmail and I immediately began to hate myself. So with this hatred, all I wanted to do was die. And because I already, we had a thing back then where if you, if you had a note from your parents, I don't know if you guys remember this, but if you had a note from your parents, you can go to a store and you can get wine, beer, and cigarettes. You guys remember that? I wrote a lot of notes. <laughs> And everybody in the neighborhood, we chip our money together and they give me my, I go down and get wine, beer and cigarettes and stuff. We come back and we go behind the garage and we guzzle this like spinata or Boone's Farm. You guys ever drink Boone's Farm? I'll tell you something about Boone's Farm. It's really cool. It tastes exactly the same going down as it does coming up. <laughs> I think I have some more of that. Anyway, so I go buy all this, all this wine and beer and we go behind the garage and I don't know if you guys ever did this or not, but my friends, we got together at 15 years old and we found out that if you take a couple of hits off a joint, take a couple of swigs of wine, take 15 deep breaths, and then let your friend hold your chest. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Thank you so much. Oh, look at you white people. Yeah, come get it. And your friends hold your chest and you just kind of go, you know, so we do this thing. My best friend at the time, he lived next door. His name was Stuttering Steve. The stuttering Steve, we call him Stuttering Steve mainly because Steve stuttered, you know? 
And Stuttering Steve took a couple of hits, took a couple of swings, took a bunch of breaths, held his chest, we let him go. And in the alley, Steve fell on the ground and went into a seizure. And he just started violently shaking down and he's just freaking out. 15 years old, we're going, oh man, speak. what are we going to do with Steve? Steve is dying on the point, just shaking, shaking his right. Help Steve, we don't know what to do. And Steve is dying. We're like, it's going to die. Slowly, Steve came out of it and he got out of it. He stood up and he had rocks in his face and blood coming down the side. And Steve looked up and he said, wow. <laughs> let's do that again. And I remember thinking something's wrong with Steve. Because any human being who will hurt himself that bad and want to do it again, there's got to be something wrong with it. Little did I know that was going to be my plight for the next 21 years. Because I drank up and smoked up and effed up every facet of my life that was ever worthwhile. I don't have a drinking problem, I have a stopping problem. I can drink really easily. My problem is that I can't stop once I start. And if you relate to that, then maybe you might be an alcoholic too. My favorite drink is more. My favorite drug is more of yours. And I'm one of those red-blooded alcoholics will steal your shit and help you look for it. <laughs> I drank up a beautiful music career. I was uh, signed to Motown Records. I had been on tour when I was uh, 19 years old. I went on my first US tour. By the time I was 21, I'd been around the US six times. I was on my second world tour. Been all over the world playing music. Signed as an artist, as a songwriter, as a producer. And the worst thing you can ever be is a Motown drummer that can't keep time. I come in for the session, I'd be a little bit too slow. They say, hey man, you're, you're going too slow. Hold on, I'll be right back. I run to the car and come back. Then I was a little bit too fast. <laughs> run to the car and come back a little bit too slow. You guys know what I'm saying? After I drank up, smoked up, and up that, and I messed up two relationships, one marriage, two sons by two different women. Uh, I figured it was about time to get some help. I came to AA at first for the first time when I was 25 years old and I didn't get sober until I was 36. Because like so many of us, I come to AA and I'll do anything to get sober. Absolutely anything, but the steps. They don't apply themselves to me. I mean, I come here, I hang out with meetings, I know all the cool things, I know when to chant. Principles before personality. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know all that stuff, right? Let's share, let's share. I'm tell some really cool stories. But I lingered long on step none. Now, by the way, step none happens anytime along the way in the steps. Because we come into AA, we get it. I can do step one, two, and three. Oh, I got step one, two, and three. You want me to do what? And you wait about a month or two, that's called step none. I see guys all the time, hey, what step you on? I'm on step three. Oh, well, everybody do me a favor real quick. Raise your right hand real quick. Everybody just raise your right hand. Okay, put it down, quick question. How long did it take you to make that decision? Now I'm on step three. That's called step none. 
This program has very, very, very little to do with what I think and what I want, what I hope for. It has everything to do with what I do. It has nothing to do with what I wish, hope for. It has everything to do with what I do. The only time it tells me not to do something is when I find fear in my life. It's somewhere around page 67. Right in the book, 67 on the right-hand side. And it says, when we have fear, we're supposed to pray. Tells me to do that, doesn't it? I'm supposed to ask God to please remove this fear and direct my attention to what he'd have me be. See, I always thought I was supposed to ask God, hey, God, what, what do you want me to do? I have fear. What should I go do? No, no. What do you want me to be? Because I learned in A, sometimes God wants me to be courageous or be a man or be honest, be truthful, be kind, be loving. If you really want to know, sometimes he wants me to be still and know that he is God. Because I always want to do something. I want to fix it. I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that this program has so little to do with my alcohol that it's ridiculous. I took these steps and in taking those steps, I found out something in the first step. Because when I first got to AA, don't forget, I'm this brilliant upper 1% of the nation I come, this genius dude, I know everything. And this guy came up one day and he whistled and he said, hey man, you've been in this program? Yeah, I've been around the program about 10, 11 years. I know all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you do, you ever read the book? Yeah, I used to do, I used to read. We used to do a lot of speed reading back there in the old days where you kind of like take speed and then try to read the book. You know, that I'm just saying, that was speed reading for some of us. But he goes, hey, so you did the steps? Yeah, I've done the steps. He goes, well, what does that word admit mean in the first step? I said, admit, 1% of the nation. Admit means, you know, admit means, it, it means to admit. He said, you can't use the definition. You can't use a word in the definition, right? He said, you mean to like acknowledge as true or to state as a fact? You remember this stuff, Nick? <laughs> to acknowledge is true or stay as a fact? I said, yeah, that's it. He goes, no, that's the admit in the fifth step. He said, the admit in the first step is something completely different. The admit in the first step is like page 30. Uh, somebody read that earlier today. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we're real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different than his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink in freebase like a gentleman. <laughs> the idea that somehow, someday, and it goes through in the first two paragraphs here, it says, think, idea, great obsession, illusion, and delusion. Right there on that page, on page 30, and it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves of real alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. See, I thought it was something to admit out, but no, I'm, to, I'm supposed to concede entry. I'm supposed to allow it in. See, I can always tell you guys are alcoholics, but I can never fully concede to my innermost self. You know why? Because think, idea, great obsession, illusion, delusion. Think, idea, great obsession, illusion, delusion. You know what's synonymous with those five things? It's all in my head. None of that shit's real. Think, it's just a thought. An idea, an obsession, an illusion, a delusion, and that's been running my life all the time. 
be careful because those things will jump up on you in a heartbeat and snatch you right back into the throes of insanity because we do that while we're sober. I've got a guy who was supposed to meet, meet me here tonight. He had 12 years sober. And he and uh, one of his good friends who had 13 years sober, they had a thought. Then they had an idea of how they were gonna do it. And they said, oh no, we can't do it. We're just joking. We were, I'm 12, 13 years sober. And I don't then the obsession took over and you can't get it out of your mind. And then you know what happened? The illusion of how they're gonna get away with it. The family will never see it. None of our people work will know. Nobody's gonna know, nobody's gonna be all right. And then the delusion to actually do it. And both of them are again on step four right now. We spent the last week going through this stuff. So after I found out what the word admit means, he said, you know what, do you know uh, admit we're powerless? What's the word power? And he had me go through and get a dictionary and run through all these different words. And I had to go through these words in this program to figure out what these steps really meant. And the word power means the ability to produce an outcome. Powerless. The word less means to a smaller degree, right? If I said I have less money than Tim, that means you got money, I got money, but mine's to a smaller degree, right? If I said I have less friends than not Trevor, that is Trevor. If I said I have less friends than Trevor, that means you got friends, I got friends, right? But mine's just to a smaller degree. But the suffix less, the suffix less means ain't got no. That's African for American, African American for, <laughs> in case you guys are trying to read along, means ain't got no. Like if I said I am penniless, what does that mean? If I said I'm homeless, what does that mean? What if I'm friendless? You got no friends. What if I'm hopeless? What if I'm powerless? That means when it comes to alcohol, my ability to produce an outcome does not exist. What do you call a person who keeps trying to prove power over alcohol and ain't got no power over it? What do you call them? You call them insane. See, I thought the first step was about alcohol. It ain't got nothing to do with alcohol, but it has to do with the insanity of me. I also have to admit that my life had become managed, able, not. My life, my existence had become, it's the greatest word in the first step is the word become because it simply means to transform from one condition to another. My life had transformed from one condition to another, a condition of managed, able, not. Managed means to have dominion over. Ability means to have, uh, to have the uh, capable of, to have sufficient strength to produce an outcome. And I could not manage. What do you call a person who keeps trying to manage something they can't manage? I was just crazy. Second step says come to believe. Come means to move toward arrive at. Believe means to have a firm conviction of the truth of the validity of something. Come to believe, to believe that a power greater ourselves. In the second step, they spell the word power with a capital P. They're talking about God. I hate to burst your bubble. They're saying God. Anytime in that big book, they use a capital letter to explain something like that. That means God, 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 God. I can't tell you what God looks like because I can't define God. But I sure do understand God. Come to believe. Move to arrive at a firm conviction of truth and validity that the entity of authority could 
restore me to sanity. The greatest word in the second step is the word restore because it simply means to bring back to a former condition. My life run by me had become, had transformed from one condition to another. My life run by God, God can restore me. God can bring me back to a former condition, sanity. The word sanity simply means soundness of mind, soundness of judgment. I cannot do the second step without believing the first step. I got to believe I'm crazy before I can believe that God can restore me to sanity. And if I believe that, then make a third, the third step says make a decision. Make, bring into existence something that didn't exist before. Decision means to arrive at a conclusion after carefully weighing the options. Make a decision to turn my will, which is my choosing, my life, which, my existence, which is my existence over the care of God. So you know what I get to do every day? I get to wake up and remember who and what I am and that my life run by me can hardly be a success. And I get to roll out of bed and put my knees on the ground and ask God, like you tell me in the 11th step, please direct my thinking, especially divorcing it from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. God, as I face indecision today and cannot determine which course to take, I ask for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. Please help me to relax, take it easy and not struggle. God, please show me all through the day what my next step is to be and give me whatever I need to take care of such problems. I ask especially for freedom from self-will. As I go through my day, please help me to pause when agitated or doubtful and ask you for the right thought or action. That will be done. Then I get to get up and put the world, the weight of the world on my feet. I wake up and I put the weight of my world on my knees and I give it to God. And then I get up and take the ones God tells me what he wants me to be. And I go out there and do God's will. My job is to be a tool for good for God because somebody right now has been born is going to need AA in 15 or 20 years. And what are they going to find? There's somebody stumbling down the street two blocks away from here right now who's going to need AA in a couple of days. What will they find? And if we don't know this program, if we don't practice this program, if we don't practice sharing this program, not a program, we have to carry the message, not a mess. We have to be that tool for good for God so that God can use us to bring life back to these other people. I told you guys I drank up a couple of relationships, right? I told you I drank up a couple of sons. I didn't see my son for 22 years, my son Daniel. He found me on Facebook April the 30th, 2010. I was 17 years sober. I ran around saying, boy, I, I've lost my two sons, but if they ever come looking for me, I want them to find a sober man at the end of their journey. Sounds really cool, right? But fuck, I had to stay sober for 17 years. And they hit me up on Facebook. And we started talking and we flew him out here. got to see him for the first time on 9-11, uh, 2010. Got on a plane in New York City on 9-11, right? And flew out here to see me for the first time. We became really absolutely incredible friends. Uh, a couple of years later, you say you want to come move out and live with us. Uh, I've been in service to Alcoholics Anonymous since I've been sober. And at the time I happened to be the delegate for our area here. And I was in New York. He was living at our house. And the day I came home from serving you guys in New York, I walked in the house and told him you got to get the fuck out of my house. Because you drink the way I drink, you lie the way I lie, you can't live here. We don't live like that. 
So we kicked him out. He went back to New York. A couple of few years later, I got a call on December the 1st, 2018. He said, Dad, I need help. I want to stop drinking. I don't know how. I said, son, stay by your phone. I'll call you back in a half an hour. I hung up the phone. I went on Facebook and I said to all my Narasa friends, Northeast Region Alcoholics Anonymous Service Assembly, I have a kid over there in New York who needs help. Within 30 minutes, I had 12 responses. They said, hey, give them my phone number, tell them to go to this meeting, tell them to do that. And I just called them back and say, hey, here's some phone numbers, here's where you go, and I hung up the phone. In five days, he's going to be taking four years sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. There are things we do. We cannot linger long on step none. Please do not find yourself on denial aisle in the half measure section on relapse road, thinking with an idea, because it will turn into a great obsession, which will turn into the illusion and the delusion. And we'll work our way right back up the steps. But be careful because what we're up against in this day and age, I know I got one more minute, two more minutes. What we're up against in this day and age is a lot more than just meeting spouting stuff. Because you'll find that so many of our members that we get here right now either come from a dry dock or what they call those things, uh, uh, sober living. I call it a dry dock. <laughs> uh, or they might just come off from judges are sending people to us. There was a girl a few years ago who got busted for um, shoplifting. Judge said, oh, you got to go to 30 AA meetings. A kid asked me to sponsor him a couple of days ago. And I told him the same thing I've told everybody I've ever sponsored because my sponsor told me. I said, do you know what a sponsor is? Why don't you get the, there's a pamphlet we have called Questions and Answers on Sponsorship. And if you read that pamphlet and read it thoroughly, We'll talk about it and I'll be honored to help you. The reason I do that is because most people are not gonna take the time to go get a pamphlet and read it, right? So they're not gonna call me back. It's okay. But those who do call back, we talk a little bit about it and I tell them to go read the doctor's opinion and if they read that, most of them don't call back. But if he's willing to do work, I'm willing to do the work. The kid called me the next day and said, hey, I, I read that pamphlet, I was like, really? Okay, so what did it say? Well, it, you know, I, I, I said, you read the whole thing? Well, I, I, I read the part about a, a sponsee. Like, no, but the instructions were read the whole pamphlet, right? And the kid said, well, this is the pamphlet they gave me, and, and I didn't have time. And I said, well, what is the pamphlet? Well, it's called something. I said, wait, that's not. Well, actually, they gave me an OA pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys are laughing, right? But this is what is becoming the norm in Alcoholics Anonymous. Every TV show will brand themselves with us. There's not a show that comes on the air right now that somebody's not in the program or they don't refer to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's not one. You go on TV, there's all the people go on the radio, there are people on the podcast talking about it. Podcast, you know. <laughs> They're telling people in the dry docks, hey, it's all the same. Anyway, here's the bottom line. My job is to be a tool for good for God. 
I'm a member of AA in good standing. That's because I take these steps and I continue to improve through practice my life. I live in this triangle. And I love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I will spend the rest of my life trying to repay the debt that I owe to AA. Happy holidays and uh, stay out of trouble. Thank you. Woo!